Trent Griffith says that the good news about Jesus should affect the way you and I view people who are on the margins of society. The gospel strips away every excuse that I've ever used to bypass people who look differently than me, who think differently than me, who act differently than me, and believe differently than me. The gospel compels me to move toward those people, not move away from those people. It's the gospel that compels us to confront the sin that we see all around us. That's why our heart breaks and we lament when we hear about a shooting. That's why we can't pass by people that we see that are abused or addicted or vulnerable in our communities. That's why we must have compassion on the poor and the under-resourced and the disadvantaged. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers as a kid? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor, would you be mine? I know many of us were reintroduced to Fred Rogers recently through the film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, featuring Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. You know, he helped introduce a lot of us to the concept of what it means to be a neighbor. I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. That's something a religious expert in Jesus's day wrestled with. Today, we'll review a few of last week's highlights and then conclude this message titled, I Am a Neighbor. Here's Pastor Trent. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, do you have the picture of this? First of all, it's a lawyer. Now, this is not a lawyer like we think about a prosecuting lawyer or a defense attorney. This is not an expert in the laws of man. This is an expert in the laws of God. This was a theologian. He knew the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, really, really well. And this lawyer is about to put Jesus to the test. And he gives him the one question on the test. Here it is in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see that question? That's the best question ever. And yet Jesus knows there is nothing that you can do to merit eternal life. So Jesus in the conversation answers his question with a question in verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. How did Jesus respond in verse 28? He said to him, you have answered correctly. Congratulations. You understood. You can boil all the Ten Commandments, all of the other commandments that we read down to these two simple commandments. Love God, love people. And Jesus says this. This is hilarious. Do this and you will live. All you have to do to inherit eternal life is love God and love people. That's it. Here's the first point of the message here this morning. My inner lawyer must see the love that Jesus requires. 
Did you know that deep down on the heart of every person here today, there is an inner lawyer that is arguing for how good you are? But notice how you have to love God and love people. Because the guy gives the right answer. He says you have to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then cherry on top, just love everybody else as much as you love yourself. Do this and you will live. Now, if you ever, at any time in your life, have ever loved God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and loved your neighbor as much as you love yourself, would you please raise your hand if you've accomplished that? Nobody has ever done that, which means the law has never qualified anyone to inherit eternal life. In other words, you're going to need a substitute lawkeeper. You're going to need a substitute lover of God and people if you're going to inherit eternal life. And yet this lawyer begins to argue for how good he is. Notice his response to Jesus' statement here in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said, and who is my neighbor? He was trying to argue his case. I, no, I'm good enough. I love enough. I love God enough. I love people enough. Jesus has to deconstruct that. So what he does is tells a story. He tells one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You probably know the story. It's the story of the good Samaritan. Jesus does not tell the story of the good Samaritan in order to try to motivate this guy to be good. The point of the story is not be gooder and try harder. I told you I didn't, I didn't get a degree in grammar. It's technology. So it's not be gooder and try harder. And yet that is the default setting of the human heart. We think to inherit eternal life, I have to do good and try hard. And Jesus is actually using this story to prove to him he's not a good neighbor. He's not a good law keeper. Here's the second point. My sinful heart must receive the love that Jesus offers. And so Jesus tells this very familiar story. Now, when you hear the story of the Good Samaritan, we want to insert ourselves as the Good Samaritan. Don't insert yourself too quickly as the good Samaritan. Here's the story as Jesus told it, beginning here in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. The two guys that knew the law the best would have been the priest and the Levite. And yet the law did nothing to motivate them 
to show compassion for a guy in need. The purpose of the law is not to give you a list of do's and don'ts to qualify you for eternal life. The purpose of the law was given to you to show you you can't do what the law commands you to do to inherit eternal life. And the priest and the Levite were not motivated. Their heart wasn't changed. They had heartless religion. They had no compassion for this guy. Do you know what the story is telling us? All of us are like the priest and the Levite. We're like this inner lawyer that wants to argue for how good we are. But if you could ever actually see how many people you pass by and how heartless we are, it would prove to us we haven't met the standard of God's law and we cannot inherit eternal life because we have not shown compassion for people nor have we had passion for God. We're all broken. We need new hearts. Don't insert yourself as the good Samaritan. Insert yourself as the priest and the Levite, a heartless person that hasn't shown compassion. So how does Jesus change that? Secondly, insert yourself as the guy that is beaten and wounded and robbed, left in the ditch, half dead. Don't you understand? That's what sin does to me. Sin robs me of righteousness. And when other people sin against me, it robs me of my ability to trust people that speak for God, like the priest and the Levite. We're all universally broken. Some of us are beaten up and robbed by law-breaking. Some of us are beaten up and robbed by law-keeping. But either way, we've been wounded and we're broken and we're half dead. The story is we need someone to show us compassion. And that someone is the one that's introduced in the next verse. Look at verse 33. Here's another character in the story. But a Samaritan. Let's talk about a Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? I mean, what is that? That's actually a race of people. This race of people was a mixed breed people, half Jew, half Gentile. This race of people was created when the enemies of Israel, the Assyrians, invaded the northern kingdom. These armies came in, they set up shop in the promised land reserved for God's people. They intermarried with Jewish girls and from that came this line of people that were called the Samaritans that kind of inhabited the northern part of Israel there. The Jews who were purebred descendants of Abraham hated the Samaritans, this mixed breed of people. And there was tension and conflict and they avoided one another like the plague. Jesus introduces the next character in the story, a Samaritan. Now notice what the Samaritan does. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the broken man. And when he saw this wounded man, he had compassion. And he went to him. He didn't go around him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. He paid a price. He gave him to the innkeeper. Just 
Make a mental note about the innkeeper. We'll come back to him in a minute. And he said to this innkeeper, take care of him and whatever more you must spend, I will repay when I come back. So who does Jesus say I am? First of all, I'm a heartless lawyer. I'm this guy that's trying to argue for my goodness. But then secondly, he says that I am like this wounded man who's been robbed of righteousness. I'm left half dead. I've been beaten and robbed by sin. I've lost the fight against those that would try to rob me of my dignity and my worth. I, I have to see myself as a poor helpless, left for dead sinner in need of compassion. My sinful heart must receive the love that Jesus offers. So if I'm the wounded guy, who is Jesus? Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one that comes, who sees me, who rushes to where I am, even though he should have bypassed me. He's the one that stops my bleeding. He binds up my wounds. He takes me to a place where I can get healing and wholeness. And he's paid the price for everything. And he says one day he's coming back to get me so that I can spend eternity enjoying eternal life with him forever. Before you can understand the point of the story, you have to see yourself as the wounded guy that Jesus has come to. We receive the love that Jesus offers. Stop trying to justify yourself. Remember the guy who was trying to justify himself? That's what, that's what an inner lawyer does all the time. He's arguing for his goodness. And yet, one of the most important verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 3, talks about this issue of justification. And he says, you and I are justified by His grace as a gift. There's nothing you can do to pay for it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't work it off. It is a gift that is received through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the Good Samaritan, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Healing, salvation, eternal life, is a gift that is received by faith, not a payment that is made by lawyers keeping the law. Have you received Jesus by faith? Stop trying to justify yourself. Stop trying to argue for your goodness. Just see yourself as the broken, wounded, robbed guy in need of compassion. If you open your heart to Jesus, he will come to you. And he will restore what the robbers have stolen, your righteousness in Christ. Here's the last thing. My grace-rescued life must distribute the love Jesus modeled. Now, we've already said Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the only one good. He's the ultimate Samaritan. He's the ultimate distributor of compassion. But do you see what it says? Look at verse 36. Jesus pulls out of the story. He comes back and asks the next question to the lawyer. He says, which of these three, do you remember the three? Levite, priest, Samaritan. Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? We know the answer. He knew the answer. Verse 37, he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Do you understand? Once you've been a recipient of compassion, 
you now become a distributor of compassion. Once you understand Jesus modeled what a good Samaritan looks like, you spend the rest of your life following Jesus as a good Samaritan. This is the thing. Jesus commands us to do imperfectly what he does ultimately. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so radically altered by how much compassion Jesus has sown that it has compelled you to move toward broken, wounded, sin-scarred people? Our families tried to do this. I mean, it's hard. I mean, our whole life is, is just, we do this so imperfectly, but trying to say, Lord, here we are. And there's so many people in our path. We see wounded, broken, robbed people. We want to be available to you. We can't do everything. We can't do it perfectly, but we're going to offer ourselves to, to, to move toward wounded people. And if you've ever done that, you understand that it takes a whole lot more than a generous spirit and good intentions to actually make a difference in people's lives. And sometimes you, you feel like I'm running out of resources. I don't have everything I need to help this person. Here's what's given me hope this week is the other guy in the story that always gets ignored. Do you remember the innkeeper? Does anybody here think less of the good Samaritan that he took this guy and handed him off to the innkeeper? He must have thought, I need a paid professional to help do things I can't do. And so he paid the price. He didn't care any less. He had incredible compassion, but he was wise enough to know this guy's going to need long-term help and I, I, I can't provide what, exactly what this guy needs. So he invites this innkeeper to partner with him. This is the story of what we do as a church. We look at all the broken and the hurting people out there and we're like, oh my goodness, it's overwhelming. Here's the, here's the great news. You're not the only one who's trying to make a difference. You can partner with people to help and together we can move into the community to confront the needs that we see. This is what the gospel does. It moves us to compassion. Now listen real closely. Compassion is not something you just feel. Some of you right now are feeling pretty good about yourself because I feel, I'm, I'm feeling like I should help people. Compassion is not just something you feel. Compassion is something you do. It's the gospel that compels us to reach out to people in our community who otherwise would never find their way into this building. There are people in this community that will never pick up a Bible. They will never tune to a radio station or listen to a podcast until we go to them and stop bypassing them. That's what a good Samaritan does. It's the gospel that confronts injustice everywhere it's found, whether, whether it's in a family, in individuals, or in communities. The gospel strips away every excuse that I've ever used to bypass people who look differently than me, who think differently than me, who act differently than me, and believe differently than me. 
The gospel compels me to move toward those people, not move away from those people. It's the gospel that compels us to confront the sin that we see all around us. That's why our heart breaks and we lament when we hear about a shooting. That's why we can't pass by people that we see that are abused or addicted or vulnerable in our communities. That's why we must have compassion on the poor and the under-resourced and the disadvantaged. Martin Luther King, the leader of the civil rights movement, often preached on the Good Samaritan. Here's what he said in one of his sermons. We are called to play the Good Samaritan in life's roadside, but that will be only an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's pathway. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It is not haphazard and superficial. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. What he's acknowledging is there are systemic issues. There are deep, complex things that require more than us just feeling badly that someone's hurting. It compels us to lean into those things. Jesus compels us to have a heart for widows and orphans and the unborn and refugees and immigrants. There's so many needs around us. The gospel compels us to extend grace toward those who identify as gay, lesbian, and transgender while we are lovingly telling them the truth about what God requires in his word. This is why we don't divide along political lines or racial lines or denominational lines in the church. This is why we don't marginalize or gossip people in the church who do things differently than us or have different convictions than us or have more freedom than us in gray areas where we're to use discretion. And this is why we take the gospel ultimately to unreached people that are outside of the content of the gospel. They have no access to the things that we have access to. And we get to those places as best we can to deliver the good news of Jesus. This is why we're planting a church in the heart of South Bend. Because we want to be a good neighbor to people that are hurting the most rather than just staying isolated in places and neighborhoods where it's a little safer. Here's the last thing. Do you remember the two commandments? What are they? Love God, love people. Do you know that it is actually sin to love people if you love people more than you love God? It is possible to love people without loving God. And when you do that, you make people your God. So loving others means that we persuade them to love God. Loving people means that we show them the urgency of repenting and responding to the great Samaritan Jesus who actually was beaten and robbed on the cross and stripped all because he loved them so much he wanted to include them, not exclude them. It's because we love God more than we love the approval of people that we are compelled to urge our neighbors to love God 
with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. We don't do it perfectly. One day we'll introduce them to the one that does it ultimately. Let me ask you to stand together. And in these closing minutes, don't check out on me. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen yourself as that lawyer arguing your case for your goodness against Jesus, standing up to Jesus as if you're an equal somehow, thinking that you can merit eternal life through keeping the law? Why don't you just humble yourself and see yourself as the broken, wounded, robbed guy on the side of the road, half dead, actually all dead, in need of a resurrection. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus has compassion. He doesn't bypass those who will humbly cry out and say, I, I need mercy. He'll transform you. He'll give you a heart that loves God. And because we love God, we love people enough to introduce them to loving God. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? In this moment, why don't you just humble yourself before the Lord? Say, Lord, I need compassion. I'm like that lawyer who argues for his goodness. I want to think that somehow I can work off my sin debt. And Lord, right now, I see myself as broken by sin, my self-righteousness, my lack of compassion for you, my lack of compassion for others. Thank you for the cross. By faith, I receive you as my justifier. And Jesus, we do thank you that even this morning you have acted as a good Samaritan. You, you haven't bypassed us. We, we could have gone through this whole service without you coming to where we are, and yet we sense that you are here. You're loving people right now that are wounded and hurting, don't have answers. Lord, I pray that they would respond by faith to the free gift of eternal life. And Lord, would you transform our hearts? God, deposit within us a love that we've never known, to love you, to love others, to move out of here into places, neighborhoods, where we would otherwise not go. Not because we're trying to be good, but because you've made us good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so good to be reminded that rather than wondering who I am supposed to love or who is my neighbor, we can just focus on how can I be a better neighbor to everyone I run into. Trent Griffith has been showing us where we fit into the story of the Good Samaritan in a message that he gave at Gospel City Church. And if you're on the lookout for a church where you can hear preaching just like this every week, where you can plug in and serve others, why not look into Gospel City Church? We'd love to have you worship with us sometime soon. We gather both in person and online. 
For more information about when and where we gather, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. So how would you describe your relationship with Jesus? Is it one of intimacy? Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will help us understand what it means to be a worshiper. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart this week as you are a neighbor to others. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.